Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host as usual are Debbie Boy and the DJ. How are you doing, DJ? Going good. I'm going good. Watching this absolute colossal storm of a Twitter drama. <laughs> oh, I'm loving it. I can't wait to see the post-mortem on what happened. Oh, <laughs> I wonder who's going to take responsibility for this. And what about you, Devi Boy? I'm just glad you had more, t- more toast. <laughs> Inside references. No one's going to get this one. Woo. Remember, kids, toast is more, very important for a bal- balanced meal diet. Fun fact of the day. Are you going to let this one drop any sooner than you let the Hoover thing drop? Nah, uh, <laughs> afraid I not. Think, I think this is going to be a running theme meme this episode. Yep. Well, as an explanation, before we started recording, I said toasting instead of testing. Toasty. Yep. Yeah, and now they won't <laughs> let it die. <laughs> so speaking of things that did die, <laughs> Debbie Boy has our first topic. Ah, yes, a very toast topic. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that's enough. Um, yeah, so as all Half-Life, Half-Life, Half-Life 3 is going to happen. I mean, it, we know it's confirmed now after Half-Life Alex. Sorry, spoilers, but we've confirmed Half-Life. More Half-Life games. Not exactly Half-Life 3, but more Half-Life games now. Now, thankfully, because of Half-Life Alex and the good um, reception that's got, Valve finally feels comfortable um, talking about it to us, the general public, after many years of silence. So, an, a new documentary has been posted on Steam, which is basically um, the documentary of the creation of Half Life Alex and the in betweens between Half Life Episode 2 and, and to where Half Alex began in terms of the dev team. Um, so, we got Jeff Off Keeley's uh, Half Life Alex final hours are now available on Steam. So, this is where this face has come from. And basically, uh, over five Half Life Alex, ha- there. Five Half-Life projects were cancelled before Alex, including Half-Life 3, and they go through a ton of reasons. Um, original Half-Life 3 was cancelled because, well, Source 2 was not ready for it, and then they went through, like, RPG concepts, open-world Left for Dead game, uh, just, just a ton of concepts and ideas, so that, like, it's pretty obvious Valve was very into wanting to make a new Half-Life game, just they couldn't work out what they actually wanted. What do you, you guys think? Well, it wasn't just Half-Life. Like, what is a hot dog? Where's the toast? <laughs> no, you, do, you have hot dog with a bun, not with toast. <laughs> I have a toast. Well, unless you go to Bunnings, that is. Ah, yeah. You know. No, that's a sausage. <laughs> hot dogs are different. <laughs> um, oh, but in all seriousness, though, like, I think it, it kind of sucks when you're like, oh, we were going to have a Half-Life 3, but then, like, Oh, all that hype is gone. I mean, I, I think it's gone. It's still there. Like, it yeah. was there for Half-Life Alex and stuff. I think it's a good thing that we didn't have Half-Life 3, because the point being is if Half-Life 3 came out and it went with one of these concepts that didn't really gain traction at Valve, so it obviously means they weren't up to the normal quality that they're uh, used to delivering, it would have been a letdown. I mean, the whole point of Half-Life series is meant to be Valve uses Half-Life as the way to push new ideas and technologies in the PC gaming industry. So original Half-Life was basically storytelling inside three-dimensional games. Half-Life 2 was all about physics engines and rendering and shaders. And Half-Life um, Alex is about VR. So And it even breaks down to the episodes. Yeah, true. So episode one was about having a companion character who didn't suck. <laughs> Isn't that where Portal was it was inspired from in, in that essence? No, uh, not, Portal came yeah. from a, a team of students at Digipen. Okay. Digipen is a, uh, a game development sort of university, and it's, they're known for every 
uh, every year they have a showcase of some particular mind-bending game that came out. Okay. So one year was Narbacula Drop, which is Portal, but with a uh, a different skin, basically. Yeah. yeah so you were so- saying. So you were saying. Oh, sorry, sorry, David boy. So you were saying Half Life Episode One is basically uh, an assistant that won't do. What's Half Life Episode Two then? Ah, uh, that one. I don't remember what the focus of that one was. It's in the uh, like. I think it's in the in-game commentary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the main focus of the episodes was trying to deliver half... I mean, Valve internally, the whole point of the episodes was to get more content out at a faster rate. But the problem was they found that by doing that, they got more out, but it put more stress on their team. And their scope just kept increasing with now even shorter deadlines. So it wasn't working out for them. So basically, they were trying to avoid the crunch culture before Pre- anyone could... Pretty much. That's. I mean, do, you know how Valve's structured. They don't have a traditional AAA studio setup. They have one where basically a ton of people are on wheelchairs. So you got your office desks on wheels, and you basically wheel around to the projects you want to work on. But they got a lift and everything, which has like you wheel your chair and it goes up and your desk and everything. I mean, um, lift in the parking garage is also known for kidnapping people. <laughs> it's in the uh, the employee manual that got leaked a few years back. <laughs> what way? Well. I assume it just locks you up and doesn't let you out. Oh, no. <laughs> they have now decided that um, they've come out and said that the uh, sort of, what's the term for it? The the horizontal structure isn't working for them. Yeah, yeah. Because Makes people sense. start a project, get it to the point where they've got a proof of concept and it looks really cool, but no one wants to put in the effort to finish developing no, it because that's not exciting. Yeah. And that's the issue they'll overcome because Valve has a long history of leaks and dead projects, especially like even here, five dead games. Now, I don't personally believe from a game design standpoint, all those really sound that intriguing. The Left 4 Dead open world game sort of, but there's already so many open world zombie games. Um, so I'm glad Alex went through, but it does I mean, Valve doesn't care. Like They don't care as much. They don't put as much emphasis on it compared to other studios because they've got Steam. They're swimming in money, right? So there's no... Uh, financial incentive, let's say. Um, Alex, there is more financial incentive, I guess, because it's helping push their uh, VR systems and that side of technology. But, like, in terms of studios which have to constantly worry about getting a product out, otherwise they're going to go bankrupt. Like, Valve doesn't have that issue. But how do they... But it's interesting how, um, like, but with Valve, now they have Epic, like, trying to compete with them, like, there must be emphasis on okay, Epic is coming up and they're coming up with great new games. We need to bring up bring back all the um Half Life games. Maybe to try and rival against Epic again. I I, think. I, and that's what the good thing about competition is, right? At the same time, I don't think Epic's really at the level of Valve yet. Like their store is all right. You can get they're doing the free game offers, which is amazing. I've gotten quite a few of them myself. But like there's not that user experience yet. There's no like desktop you the desktop application doesn't give you the same experiences steam doesn't give you the same options and shows you a big library in a really nice sort out way um there's no community features yet there's none of, there's none of that community part to it which is obviously a big part of uh, valve and steam's identity right so it's it's there it's competing but i don't think it's as much of a threat at least right now compared to steam in the future Considering Epic also has tons of money they can throw at it, possibly. Yeah, For, uh, because um, you two uh, are both game developers. When you see all the, when you see news like these, the other go like, "Do I really want to develop a game when knowing it's been going to get cancelled at one stage?" Uh, that's the life of a good developer. More often than not, you develop something and gets halfway through, you're like, uh, "This doesn't really want to release this. This doesn't feel good." 
and then you either cancel it or you just move you continue moving through and get it out the door so you build another project like uh, creating a masterpiece is a difficult thing and more often not you're not going to create one which is the hard i bet you that the hardest part was trying to um get all the pieces get all the pieces right in the end and that's the hardest part yeah um, it takes longest, it's the hardest, it's the most difficult, but um, that's why Valve always gets, like, that's why the Valve, at least, apart from Artifact, usually have, like, 10 out of 10 games coming out, right? No, 9 to 10. Because the, the, how their worker place culture set up, it does allow for more versatility, even though it takes long to get products out, which is a problem. It does mean those products that do get out the door, that do have that effort and that team behind it, are usually of a really high quality. And even those Artifact I know artifacts uh, financially didn't make much sense, right, to the general consumer. Quality-wise, in terms of the game itself, it's all right. It had a few bugs, but for the most part, like, visually looks really nice. But um, comparatively, like, to a lot of our studios that push a game out, like Bethesda, putting a game out of a million bugs in it, right, and expecting the community to fix it, and then paying the community to set up a store so you got to pay for the mods to fix the game, which you didn't even finish developing. Like, that sort of thing doesn't happen with Valve, apart from Half-Life Source. You know, every studio is guilty of it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I did some reading here, and I found the... Um, so, episode one was about the, uh, the characters, the facial animation, the companions. Mm. Episode two was about sort of open battles and travel. Yes. Which so that's how you got in episode two, you have all those scenes where there's battles going on and you have all these different angles. Yeah, the mountain biker and the uh, water hovercraft thing. Yeah, and uh, at the end of episode two, you have the big Strider battle. Mm. Nice. Episode three, who bloody knows? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you had the uh, Epistle 3 came out, which is a reference here, which meant they couldn't go down that line anymore. Even though I was already pretty much, I think, believe cancelled. I haven't seen the documentary. I probably should do that. I'm quite interested, but it's ten dollars, I believe. So I'm gonna show search it right now. Um, it, it it like it sounded alright based on that leak. Um, the leak was a good story. It was a good story, and it sounded interesting. It sounded like Half Life, but I honestly like the direction they're going now. It's interesting. I think it works better for a game which is so like it, it's been too long since Episode Two to really put out Half Life Three. You know what I mean? So doing this back step and going a completely different ops direction makes things interesting. Yeah, so I found an article that has more details on the uh, the five cancelled projects. Or, well, there's more than five projects because some of them weren't uh, Half-Life projects. So Half-Life 3 would have used procedural generation to build out the level. Mm-hmm. So each time you play would be different, but the main story beats would still be the same. I see. I'm not sure which um, game, if there's any game that really does that well. Uh, mm. Left 4 Dead 3 was a Left 4 Dead game set in Morocco, cancelled because they didn't finish Source 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An RPG just called RPG. That's based great, off, <laughs> Yeah. RPG, it, the game. The, <laughs> RPG, the movie, the game, the video game. <laughs> Imagine yeah. the, the next thing, RPG, the book. <laughs> RPG, the movie, the video game, the movie, the game, the book. <laughs> we can get even more uh, recursive here. <laughs> so it was inspired by Elder Scrolls, Dark Souls, and Monster Hunter. Never got past concept, but they were going to release it in small chunks. Hmm. So back to the old development cycle idea. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, they also uh, tried it using Dota characters. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, Axe. <laughs> yeah. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Arty, which was a voxel-based game with open-ended destruction. Minecraft, 
basically yeah, say. A bit yeah, Minecrafty, a bit Cube World. I could see why that lost steam though, considering Minecraft not clone. That's a that's a evil word to say. Something's a clone or rip off, right? I say inspired. Minecraft inspired games from early 2010s to mid 2010s, right, were a big thing. But these days, it's kind of like eh. Like, people try yeah. it so much that it's kind of died off trying to recreate the, the success of Minecraft because Minecraft's kind of, it's gone through its nostalgia cycle, right? So it's, it's the landscape's very different compared to what it was back then. So like, I can see why that development project fell apart. And Minecraft is the, the Facebook of video games. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Everyone knows it and it doesn't look like anything's going to knock it off. Yeah. All the robot locks. What do you reckon well, that one? Roblox has been around longer than Minecraft, and it has a different community, right? So Minecraft's about building and surviving inside a Pacific randomly generated world. Roblox has always, like, it, I think Roblox started in 2003 or something. I need, don't quote me on that, but early 2000s, right? Um, it's about people building and sharing levels. So it's like Little Big Planet, basically, with Minecraft, not Minecraft, but Little Big Planet with blocky aesthetic, right? Yeah. So it's it's more based around community and talking and building small little mini games. So it's 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 more of a game creation tool. Yeah, yeah. So, so... It, it, it's similar, and they've always been rivals to each other. But like that's why they've coexisted because they 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 focus on different parts of the market. Yeah. There was also Sim Track by former Kerbal Space Program de- developers. Oh, which. Sounds like it could be really exciting, but I have no idea what it could be. It sounds sort of like a, a hiking simulator, maybe. So, Death Stranding-ish? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that comes out on PC uh, fairly soon. Woo! For, like, 100 bucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, shooter, which was a Half-Life VR shooter. Would have been part of the lab, but they didn't finish it in time. Mm. Borealis, a Half-Life VR which um, led by Mark Mark Laidlaw, who wrote the Epistle 3 story, would have been on the Borealis traveling between the Seven Hour War and the time after Episode 2, which is quite similar to the ideas of Epistle 3. And that's the one I read, which I, I find intriguing, but at the same time, I'm glad it never came through development because things like the Seven Hour War, it works better as a backdrop mystery to how. Like, if you kind of see it in action, I feel it will take away the lore to it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know if there's any games that have done... Uh, uh, yeah, over... mm. um, Hunt Down the Freeman did it. Oh, no, I don't mean about the, the war specifically. Oh, okay. I mean about, like, I don't think there's any games that have done being a sort of an action hero in a uh, the well, Post. in a losing fight. Yeah, I see. Half-Life Reach, maybe, but that's still pretty, uh, pretty hopeful. But I don't see any way you could make Seven Hour War hopeful. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how would you, I mean, you could do gameplay in there, but the whole point that the narrative would be you fail um, in a way, so... Unless they did a time travel, which I mean it would be a time travel thing. So yeah, and who knows? It's a cancel project. But yeah, I mean they had a ton of ideas. Well, it had a fishing mini game. Oh boy! <laughs> All right then, they should have finished this thing. Oh, Absolutely, muted fishing fish. in VR, <laughs> catching a Nicky saw. Catch yourself a head crab. Don't just make sure it doesn't bite you. Gets <laughs> it and throw it back. <laughs> Rex Hunter fishing, eat your high hat. Here comes Gordon Freeman fishing. Then there was Hot Dog, which was another Left 4 Dead game, but with no details released. And Vader, which was a $5,000 VR headset that was cancelled <laughs> when they realized no one would be able to afford it. Yeah, it's like, 
Yeah, for a second I read that, I thought it meant like Dark Vader. And so went, oh, they do a Star Wars. How like an EA, what, EA partner with them or something? Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I see. Just, just one of the headset ideas. Can you imagine if you, if you were EA and you teamed up with um, Steam and you go like, okay, we're going to rip off as much as we can with this VR project. God. All right, let's do $5,000. <laughs> Honestly, I reckon if the studio, which is the studio that did the the, uh, the Fallen Order, like yeah, that was that was um, yeah. Di- yeah, that was EA, yeah, that was EA. But what I don't know what game studio was. Let me search. Was it? it was Dice? I think it was. I, I thought nah. it was Technical Dice. I don't. It was a Dice. Uh, Jedi Fallen Order. Respawn means- Entertainment. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, that makes sense. Guys. I mean, yeah, Titanfall, because like those guys know how to make a narrative game so well. If they, I mean, they could, I reckon, handle the, the Half-Life IP, even though it's never going to happen. Just like comparatively, those two studios, as of right now, like combining action with good narrative, like they can do a good job. Yeah. I'm also disappointed that both attempts to make Episode Four, which were contracted out to other developers, mm. uh, they both flopped. So I mean, Episode Three, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well. Episode four was by um, it was the nickname for Return to Ravenholm by Arcane Studios, who later went on to do Dishonored. Hmm. And actually, uh, Dishonored had the same art director as Half Life Two. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and then there was uh, the Warren Spector episode, which was being developed by Junction Point. I don't know that there's much detail about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm honestly glad it, it, it's fun reading about these failed projects, but it makes you th- personally, it makes me glad that we, out of all this and all the silence, we finally got a Half-Life Alex, and its quality is insane because it keeps the Half-Life brand appealing and fresh in a way. You know what I mean? Because if we yeah. got like, it's like Call of Duty. We had by this time another eight Half-Life games. We'd be like, oh, Half-Life Alex is out. Uh, meanwhile, start this year, Half-Life Alex was like, two years trailer came out. What? A Half-Life game in 2020? <laughs> yeah, I think they've given us plenty of time to not get burnt out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> True. Let's hope oh. it's not in last 20 years. Yeah. But, it, but here's the thing, though, guys. Here's the thing. Now that Half-Life Alex is coming out, are we going to see more and more Half-Life 3 memes? I don't think so, because they haven't... It, it, Half-Life 3 itself is dead. There is confirmed more Half-Life, but 3 itself, I don't know, because they're going in a completely different direction. Yeah, uh, I don't know if they'll follow on with Episode 2. I can easily imagine them deciding it's been too long, and as much as everyone loves those characters, well, uh, no, maybe I- they could do a bit where um, it starts at the end of Episode 2, the G-Man plucks you out of there, I see. Yeah. and maybe you get to go back and hang out with Alex again, because everyone loves Alex. Yeah, yeah. I-, I definitely reckon the next game in Half-Life series, we will- you will play as Gordon. For mm-hmm. sure, considering the ending teaser, like that's just it just makes sense. But um, in, in terms of direction they take, they can do whatever they like, and that's the freedom half of Alex gave them. Hmm. So we should move on. Uh, hmm. What do you have for us this week, DJ? Uh, this week I have the program guide to Comic Con at Home 2020. So um, for those curious, uh, Comic Con was supposed to be on this this year but the live event was cancelled because of corona so um, comic con the organization have decided let's do comic con at home and uh what we know so far is that comic con's partners are putting towards an admittedly impressive schedule of virtual part panels all of which will be available at the comic con youtube page and they'll deep they'll be uh, diving deeper into the schedule next week well, well actually just this yeah next week it was just, um, and they'll be looking through all the biggest panels so far. 
So this event is going to go from July 22nd to July 26th at the San Diego Convention Center. So we've got four days of panels yep. being live streamed on YouTube. Yeah, the, yeah. well, yes and no. Yes, they are being live streamed. No, they're not live. <laughs> uh all those pa- all the panels are all pre-recorded, so there won't be any fan interaction with the panelists. You know that's a bit rubbish. I get that it would be very hard to moderate the uh, the chat and pick out questions for the for the panel panelists. Yeah, the panelists. But it's a bit rubbish that normal panels have questions and answers and uh, let let the crowd interact, and this way. And then and the pilling and the, and it's doing it on YouTube. They they're missing a, a gold mine here. Like imagine doing super chats, <laughs> imagine Man. super chats in the middle of a YouTube stream. We're like, okay, if you want to talk to the panelists, you must pay a hundred dollars. That doesn't sound too far from uh, actual conventions, though. Yeah. I mean, they're missing an opportunity. I understand from a certain perspective why, because it would be a nightmare trying to um, regulate memes and stuff, considering, um, you know, so as an organization, instead of an individual, as an organization having to worry about specific behavior on the, because YouTube comments aren't exactly known for their respectfulness. No. Now, obviously, if you had someone uh, who's moderating the chat and then choose answers to say, that's fine. Um, so I don't understand why they can't do that. But from a certain point of view, I can understand why they've decided to go this route. It just is easier on everyone, um, especially those that might not be familiar with YouTube's how to operate YouTube's uh, video player, right? Live stream player. But I mean, there's that people out there could hire, but I don't know. Yeah. And also, um, so like the actual event, there'll be 350 panels in, uh, within these four days. So they'll be featuring actors, writers, and other famous and m- most famous names in the world of television, movies, gaming, and comics. So yeah. Hmm. So is it free this time? It's free, yeah. So it'll be all of these will be on um YouTube. Hmm. So on the show notes I post all the um the the uh so is it uh Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Hmm. The the it's a a big big schedule. So I've got some highlights here. So on the Wednesday, the 22nd, you've got teaching with comics. And these, uh, this is basically these educators use comics to teach their students. They reveal their practice and theories behind the method. And you've got conspiracy theories, propaganda. That actually, oh. um, teachers with comics. That reminds me of the scientist we were talking about a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, yeah, the JKX comics. JKX, yeah, yeah, they're they're awesome. They they look their comics look awesome. They, you gotta have a you gotta check them out, Debbie boy. But um. Oh, yeah. You gotta check out JKX comics. They have some really cool um, concepts in, in comic book format. It's like um, remember the anime series cells in um, cells at uh, work. Yeah, cells at work. That's the one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of that one, but yeah, with with that in the comic book format in Western comics. Oh, I have to give it a try. Yeah, really cool people to check out. Um, what else is there? Then there's conspiracy theories and propaganda throughout pop culture. So this one's a panelist that will trace conspiracy theories and propaganda using throughout comics, shows, and movies. And um, then there's the new kids comics from Eisner Award publishers, and they basically talk uh, the artists and novelists behind several graphic novels for kids uh, discussing the new age of storytelling. On the Thursday one, you've, oh, we've got a lot. We've got the Star Trek Universe virtual panel, 
and this will be talking with the cast and producers of Star Trek Discovery and also the people behind the new animated series Star Trek Lower Decks and Picard. Yeah. You saw, I saw, what did you thought of Lower Decks, the trailer? I haven't seen Lower Decks, but I've watched Red Letter Media's reviews of Star Trek Picard. <laughs> I've seen some original Star Trek. I'm not a massive fan, but I've seen a little bit of the original Star Trek. Only a few episodes. Oh, yeah, the original, like, uh, original oh, Star Trek's awesome. Oh, oh, oh what is this? They're there. <laughs> Red Letter Media, great guys. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And then there is a big, um, then there's Amazon Prime's new, newest project, um, Utopia, which is an eight episode thriller about a group of young comic fans who discover a conspiracy theory in the graphic novel is real and must prevent the end of the world. Um, what else is there? Then there's the roast of Todd McFarlane, the science who of is Black- Todd. Uh, Todd McFarlane, he is the guy who created Spawn comics, as in uh, the the monster Spawn. Yeah, the super comic book hero Spawn. Yeah, he's a hero, is he? I don't bloody know these comics, <laughs> you young whippersnappers. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm young. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, what else is there? Um, on the fr- then there is the Blade Runner comic panel on Friday. Uh, this one's basically co-writer Mike Johnson and others discuss how they adopted the uh, best-selling comic series Blade Runner 2019 from the screen. Uh, the Walking Dead panel. What else is there? Then there's the Bob's Burgers panel. Uh, on the Saturday, there is the Simpsons panel, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and... Back to the Moon and um, and Beyond with NASA, and that's going to be hosted by Will Shatner and includes astronauts such as Nicole Mann Ooh, and... That will be hosted by yep. Will Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And on the final day on Sunday, there will be uh, the first TMNT 30th anniversary um, panel, um, Comic-Con Film School, and... Women on the Dark Side, which is basically uh, not all female artists and creators talk about the unicorns and glittery vampires and silly pseudo bondage. Some women create truly dark and challenging art and content. Just a touch of humor and whimsy. That sounds fun. That does. Um, When you said TMT, so that's Teenage Mutant Turtles, right? Yep. Oh, my God. The second you said it, I was like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) It just suddenly popped my head like, oh, God, another 10 days of listening to this one. I... (laughs) Come on, it, it cannot be that bad. <laughs> it cannot be that bad. Look, look, I spent five days in my childhood where I bought, because I released all the uh, original series on DVD for the first time, like the five bucks each. I bought the whole series. And I watched every single episode for like five days straight. I slept. Don't worry, I slept. I was young. And that theme song was drilled into my brain. <laughs> I cannot get rid of it. Uh, there are some, but um, there are some other... Um... Stuff as well, like there's going to be a Zoom meeting with Joss Whedon, uh, Del Toro, and Scott Cooper and Antlers, and- <laughs> uh, Scott Cooper and Antlers and filmmaking. Bill and Ted face the music. Um, so, H- can you watch these after the fact, or do you have to catch them live? Yeah, I think you. I think that you could catch them live. Hang on a second, uh- because this will be like the middle of the night for us. Yeah, yeah. And so they're saying here. Not only that, there's two po- two shows on at the same time that I want to watch. Yeah. Why do so they, they do say- this to me? <laughs> so they're <laughs> saying here the um while most of the panels will be available after Comic Con, 
There are some that may have a limited time period attached to them. So if you want to watch it, do it live or close to it. Okay. Mm. And they're well, all I'll be like checking this. out uh, No Tow Tracks Beyond Mars and the State of the Tabletop Industry. Oh, yeah. The, um, uh, you should also check out the uh, conversation with Nathan Fillion as well. That's on Sunday as well. I think the professor went silent. Yes, I will be booking oh, oh. that one in. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. He's always alive. <laughs> I think the dementia got to him. Hey, I've never died yet. <laughs> oh, and, uh, by, and by all all of my experiences, I am immortal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on, that we can question that maybe. <laughs> but way um, well, off topic. But do you, you do know of uh, quantum immortality, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Basically, uh, the idea that if um if you die in one universe, it splits off to another universe where you didn't die. So, but, from your point of view, you are immortal unless you're in the universe where you died. Yeah, but we're, uh, in, the, but, but we're in the Steinsgate timeline. So, if you die, we might be thrown off into one of the Beta World lines. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll try not to die. <laughs> That's a reference. Uh, but um. The one thing that's missing with with Comic Con for this for this one is the cosplay. Mm. Everyone loves Comic Con with when it comes to the cosplay, and they've even got a panel there too. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that's going to take away from all these panels because Pax is doing a similar thing. I mean, uh, Pax's culture is basically obviously with cosplay is a big part of it, like all pop culture, you know, festivals. But also like Pax wise, you got the pin trading, which obviously is not going to happen this year. Um, like likewise, Comic Con, Comic Con. You got the Comic Con exclusives. You got the Comic Con um, the atmosphere, right? And I mean, this is probably the best they can do. Obviously, uh, speaking just speaking of panels, though, I have I think the best example from a panel which has done a good job um, adapting to the COVID situation was there was a panel, not a panel, it was a convention done in VR Chat. So it was one, it's a Japanese convention. It's all Japanese. I couldn't work out the name of it unfortunately, but basically, what they did was it was meant to be taking place on the grounds, and they decided to just make it a VR Chat. So they made a whole world and had all the, the actual uh manga artists line up at their own build their own stands inside the virtual reality and they actually came in and interacted with the actual manga artists in virtual reality at their own stands as if it was a convention so that was really cool and i, lo- I wish i wish other conventions could do that obviously it's a bit difficult um bit off topic but that's what i just wanted to say yeah but can you imagine all like how many of them would be like you're not an anime girl are you oh i think about <laughs> to say the amount of servers they're gonna crash and i mean <laughs> please don't crash your servers. <laughs> that gets expensive. Oh, the, oh that's going to be insane now when you think about it. Like, how are they going to... The logistics of this is going to be insane. I mean, it's hosted on YouTube all, right? Like, you yeah. should be able to take it, no no problem. Hopefully. Hold on. This isn't right. It's got, on 1, p- 1 p.m. on Saturday, Sunday, the Red Dwarf panel what? featuring Chris Barry from Lara Croft Tomb Raider, Craig Charles from Coronation Street, and Robert Llewellyn from... Am I high? They're not from any of that. They're from Red Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, then where's Danny John? Where's Danny John? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Danny John Jules. You can't have Red Dwarf without Cat. <laughs> oh, man. But so you guys will be watch, watching all four days or are you just going to be um, try and catch up with all, nearly all of them? I'll just uh, watch probably, a couple of them. Yeah, I'll probably just jump in, jump out, see what's around. I'm not exactly a massive panel fan. Um, I more take tidbits from the from the conversations after done. You know, watching videos when I have the reason to watch. Yeah, um, and, and here's the be- and here's the good thing about Comic Con. Every Comic Con trailers come out, so we're gonna true. expect a lot of trailers from movies to games and comics and TV shows. 
The only piece of information I want from these... The only piece of information I want from these conventions, right, is the price of next-gen consoles. That is it. I do not care. <laughs> I do not care how much the games I do. I mean, obviously I do, but I just want the price. Please. All looking forward to. <laughs> well, oh. speaking of the uh, the next consoles, you know the PlayStation Four factory is almost entirely automated. <laughs> That's our next topic. Segway. CBJ. <laughs> I am the master of segways. <laughs> it's as if we planned that. Now we didn't actually. Yep. <laughs> so I assume it's taken some development over the past. Seven years since the PS4 came out. 2013, so yeah, actually more. Hang yeah, on. Actually, Eight? came out Seven around years. October, didn't it? Because uh, 2013, end of 2013, GTA yeah, was so. a launch title. I yeah, think. that's right. So, yeah, the original. Yeah, the yeah. 2013, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be probably a launch title on PS5 as well. <laughs> GTA 5 all over again. Uh, and that's weird. How much yeah. did they pay to get their trailer for a seven-year-old game at the front of the Sony I, show at E3? I, I love his reactions like, oh, PS5 news, look, Rockstar, here we go. <laughs> you have to be Oh, the instant disappointment in everyone's faces. That like, ugh. Like if it was, they, they should have done it to like Red, Red Dead Redemption Two because that would have been acceptable. Because like, okay, that's a year-ish old, two-year-ish old game, right? And that's still got a lot of potential, like a redo on the next console's remaster, right? But yeah. GTA, <laughs> it's just at, at this point, anyone who wants to play GTA has already played it. Yep. Although, have they announced Skyrim for PS Five yet? It will happen. <laughs> yeah. It will happen. No doubt about it. So the uh, the factory in Japan, where they assemble the PlayStation Four, uses a thirty meter long assembly line with thirty two robots, and it can produce one PlayStation every thirty seconds. And what's crazy about this is that they've they've pushed the boundaries for robot assembly because the robots are doing things like plugging in uh, flexible flat cables, those ribbon connectors, which are an absolute pain. And robots can do that. That's magic. <laughs> well, say goodbye to the union. <laughs> yes, this is the robot revolution. Good luck with your jobs. So the um, the factory line uses each assembly line uses only four humans. Two of them load the, the bare boards in at one end and two of them pack them into boxes at the other end. So judging by the description, it sounds like the board goes through the full assembly, uh, gets parts put in it, soldered, tested, placed in a case, plugged into everything, moved along to a full testing station uh, that makes sure it all actually boots up, sent down the line, put in a case, and put in a cardboard box by a human. The rest of, like, all of that's robot until the human puts it in the box. Ah. <laughs> Holy. It's bloody amazing. Because, like, uh. you think back to the old, the good old days, but, you know, a generation two before, and it was still mostly hand production, but now it's, like, it's obviously a, a great way to keep down the cost. Um, not for the workers and work employment, but, like, the console itself is probably going to help significantly reduce the price, considering 
the specs have come out about it and how much that usually costs. Um, uh, being so mass produced and stuff, but still, it's like okay. Yeah, and this, to be fair, isn't the first time an a gaming piece of gaming electronics is fully robot assembled. The uh, the Steam controller was fully automatic, but Whoa. it's the I think it's the first time a console which has vastly more parts has been mm. uh, assembled. Yeah, I mean, a, a controller is, I don't know, a controller doesn't feel as well, because it's just a plastic yeah. shell, one PCB, and then something Yeah, they're pretty top. simple. Yeah, but a console, you got, you know, graphics drives, you got SSD cards, you got the case, right? Uh, uh, there, AR shields and RA shield, RA, I don't know. RF shields. RF, thank you. RF shields, and you got, you know, testing, and you got components, a lot to it. A lot of things that go wrong, so, like, yeah... I'm still taking it in there. It's all. I'll, I want to see if, like a, a full video of it from start to finish. Yeah, yeah there's like- um, a second article that that one links to, which has more detailed photos, but unfortunately no footage. No video. That's what I I, I, I honestly can't wait. It'll come out eventually, I'm sure. Um, How much be- do you think we can bribe the uh, the workers to go and smuggle in a phone? Is <laughs> in Japan? Probably, probably quite a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I do like this this wide shot here though. Looking out over the factory floor and seeing all of these green lights, saying, "Yep, robots going." <laughs> it's all good here, mate. No issues. Yeah, there is a video on how um, a PS3 has been assembled. I think it's. I think that's the closest thing we're gonna get. Probably for a little bit. But it's the same. I I reckon it's the same idea though. Yeah, like already in that photo, you can see more people than there are in the uh, the PlayStation Four assembly line. And then I I expect the uh, the PlayStation Three is yeah much more hands on, judging by that video. Yeah, one thing that one I, th- I think they they I think that video, depending on how long it's taken, I reckon it's because of the coronavirus that you can't they couldn't do that they couldn't do that stuff. So I think they've been working on it for a while at least. Because the um, you don't spin up a whole assembly line in six months. No, like I, I believe I read an article before that said uh, the PS4 had some robotic assembly, so it's probably um, they built top of that. Yeah, all you need to do is work out which part you can automate, like the easy stuff. You automate the easy stuff first, and keep a human doing the stuff that really requires a human touch until you can replace them and put someone else in the <laughs> unemployment lines. <laughs> Off you go, mate. Go get the doll. <laughs> like, can you ima- like? And here's the other problem, though. Like, if it's only like the re because Sony, if I recall, Sony consoles don't have a region lock situation. Like, oh, here we other- go. They started using the hybrid approach of human staff to operate the motherboard at the beginning and packing at the end in 2019. So uh-huh. yeah, they've been using this for about a year. Yeah, and you got to give the Japanese credit. I mean, they 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 are high. They have a high emphasis on quality over quantity. Yeah, some of them do. The uh, the switch manufacturing is a bit disappointing. <laughs> hey, hey, it's Nintendo. What? Well, enough? Nintendo usually was pretty trustworthy. Yeah, it's just the uh, the switch has a pretty glaring design flaw, and they're only just addressing it now. Which is that the uh, the way the the joysticks are designed. Instead of going with a tra- traditional style, they wanted to keep the thickness down, and that means that the joystick is basically a disposable part. 
it will wear out and there's nothing you can do. It's not like a, so an Xbox controller or an Xbox 360 at least, it still uses a, um, I think it uses Hall effect sensors, but the uh, the switch uses graphite sheets and rubbing against the graphite with metal is not great because graphite's quite soft. Yeah. And, you know, I probably could have told them that, but they didn't ask me, so... <laughs> God damn it, Nintendo, you should have done that. <laughs> yeah. So it's obviously not... Um, designing a games console obviously isn't a solved problem. No. But this is pretty damn close. I, mean, I feel sorry for the employees in the situation. Yeah. This is the, the change we need to go through, though, because there's no way... Once companies realize how much more money they can make replacing their employees with robots, they're not going to keep employing humans. It's... It's going to settle down at some point because problem is you employ robots to make all the products, and as no one has money to buy the products, then well, you got yeah. you got a problem there. Yeah. So I, I think say- there will be a cultural change around work and about what we do as work. Hmm. But I don't know what form society will take after that change. No, it's something it's going to take probably quite a few years, and it'll be a slow change, but it's going to happen. You can't stop it. It's- yeah, I just hope it's a, a slow, Positive. peaceful change and not... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Like riots on the street because robots took our jobs. (laughs) Time to relive the Animatrix. Yes. Every cyberpunk movie ever. Can you imagine all the all the Sony employees in America and in Japan all protesting, going like, "They cannot take our jobs." Yes, but then a factory floor job like this, fairly methodical. You're not like, especially in the really specialized ones where you hear about people who are like, it's probably an exaggeration, but you hear about the guy on the assembly line whose job is to put in one screw. Yeah, I mean, you're basically already a robot at that point, so replacement of a robot. I mean, not to be not to be hard on that person who's putting that one screw in, but for the company, it makes sense financially. Yeah, unfortunately. And I think, oh, I'd like to think there is something more fulfilling that that person could be doing. But again, we'll have to see where society goes. Yeah. So shall we move on to something less depressing? Whoa! Oh, man, I've heard about toast. (laughs) Out. Actually, this is a bit depressing. (laughs) It's about um, stress and coping in esports and the influence of mental toughness. Ah. Yeah. I was going to make a toasty joke, but then I realized it probably wouldn't be appropriate there. Well, wait, you wait, could probably wait. toast on a um a on a, a league player's head when they rage after a match. <laughs> well, so are you gonna make a gif out of it or a gif out of it? Why did you ask me this question? <laughs> My answer isn't either. I'm not gonna post anything or make anything. So then you can't judge me on what one I call it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go back to your cave and be antisocial and hide and <laughs> because remember. <laughs> 
It's what I do best. <laughs> Remember, no one can criticize you if you don't see anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll just live my toasty friends. So this study was about investigating how players experience stress from video gaming using a bunch of different mental toughness and stress frameworks. Yeah. And they've used uh, 316 eSports athletes, and the games they've used is Dota 2, League of Legends, Counter-Strike Global Offense, Overwatch, and Rainbow Six Siege. All good games. (laughs) Yep. Indeed. All tend to be quite toxic. Yep. Indeed. So yeah, they're saying a mental toughness was associated with the selection of more problem-focused and emotion-focused coping strategies and less avoidance coping strategies. And the results indicate that there is some overlap between MT, which is a mental toughness, and stress coping process in high-performing traditional sports and competitive esports athletes. And the results suggest that esports athletes could benefit from sports psychology intervention designed for traditional sports athletes. So what you're saying is that a an activity that involves com- competition, teamwork, and like in a structured system of rules has similar effects to playing a sport? <laughs> what? I could have never guessed. And meanwhile, water is wet. <laughs> yes. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't like soggy bread. so elite esport athletes have faster response times and higher accuracy in uh their simple choice reaction time stimuli but there's no difference between high level and low level players in cognitive inhibition so they say that there needs to be more research but the impression i'm getting is that um these things I know from other studies, your response times and decision making under pressure can be improved by playing video games. Hmm. This is a like I remember reading it in a an article way back. I mean, it's no surprise. So, I mean, oh, okay, the research helps, but like esports isn't. You, most people think looking at you, you're sitting down playing a game, you're not moving around, but there's still a lot of physical strain put on you. Um, not to mention the amount of training you need to do in a a pretty unhealthy environment to be able to get to those degrees of, um, you know, uh, level skill, right? Uh, just the amount of mental strain that, like, is forced upon you. Because, I mean, the prizes these days are very huge. So it's it, getting to that higher end of the esports ladder and then not succeeding is, it must be de- absolutely crushing. But would, but here's the thing, though. Could you really classify esports as a sport, like a genuine sport, though? A sport requires skill. Does esports require skill? Yes. Yeah. I I reckon it's, it's it's a sport. Like put it this way, people bowling and pull bowling and pull is a sport. Do you exercise physical endurance? No. You're throwing a ball and not you're not running. Like pull, you just you're just not swing ball, a pull pull. You're just whacking some balls around a, t- a green, you know, table. You're not exactly um, not not to hurt any pool athletes out there, but like you're not exactly <laughs> running around doing an athletic Olympic triathlon, right? So and those explosives, though, you got to stop saying pool. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, oh yeah, I see. Um, yeah, you're gonna puff. <laughs> yeah, I gotta hold this down. Sorry, guys. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, but, yeah. There's a lot of sports oh. that don't require much physical exertion. Bridge is an Olympic sport. 
Yeah, card Wait, game. what? <laughs> Bridge. Bridge. It's a card game. No, it is. Yeah, totally. How is it? I did recall like they were, were going to put um, what was it? Golf as an Olympic sport. I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah. So basically, anything competitive could be a sport. Anything competitive that requires you to be the best in your field to compete in is a sport, I reckon. The funny thing is, though, Bridge got into the Olympics before chess did. <laughs> That's another one. Like, chess. Chess is well-renowned as being, you know, a sport, but it's all it's a mental game. It's a mind game. Can you imagine, like, uh, in the next, like, 20 or, 50, 20 or 30 years, they make a, a Magic the Gathering the Olympics? I don't think Magic Gathering itself, but a card game, possibly. I don't know. It depends, because Olympics is... I mean, it's not dying fast, but it's not being uh, supported as much, considering of the economical benefits have started to wane, considering the amount of effort needed to be put in for a game, so... I mean, Japan's just gone and built millions of dollars of stadiums to not use. (laughs) Thank you, Corona. (laughs) Yep. Although, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Magic the Gathering did get in in a few years. I think, though, the problem is that people who talk about this stuff who aren't us are the same sort of people who say video games are not a sport and cannot be art. Video games and, are not, yeah, I'll say video games are not yeah. art. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, man. We're, we're going to have words later. <laughs> 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 hey, not hats. What are you talking about? I could never make see video games as an art film. Oh, those stupid generates. <laughs> yeah, so the there's a certain taint to video games. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable. Um, considering like other sports have been around for hundreds of years, like there's or in, in some form hundred years. The modern incarnation of it, not so much. But video games have been around like thirty years in in terms of like competitively, truly competitive, like. It, Esports way is only like 15, do you think? 2005? Yeah. Hey, Halo, like LAN parties where it probably started, right? So, compared yeah. to multiplayer, like 15 years, like that is nothing for a brand new medium compared to like, I don't know, chess. Oh, yeah, we, we had like, you know, 2000 years to get off the ground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, back to the. Uh, Here we go. Uh, I, I had a little ticking over in my mind there and I had to check it. Uh, there was the Intergalactic Space War Olympics, <laughs> the earliest known video game competition on the 19th of October 1972, playing the game Space War, which is a, um, I remember reading about this. I think it was in Stephen Levy's Hackers. It was, so Space War is a game where two players play as spaceships and try to shoot each other down while flying around a black hole. So I think that's the um, makes sense as the earliest one. And Twin Ga- Galaxies, one of the now fairly notorious uh, scorekeeping organizations, was founded in 1980. So uh, esports has been around for a long time. Okay, so a bit longer than I originally anticipated. Yeah, but yeah, back to the um, article. So that it's interesting uh, some of the results they've they've um, compiled from this. So yeah, um, so one of them was saying well okay that's very technical yeah there's a lot of big words there you're gonna be okay <laughs> oh, uh, they're saying no. here the purpose of this study was to examine the stress and coping um furthermore um mental toughness was associated with how stress was perceived as being a challenge or a threat and the selection of coping strategies so they've also they've talked about the appraisal um association between stress appraisal and uh, mental toughness and stress coping and mental toughness uh, hang on a second. I'll just read the conclusion. So they're basically saying 
This result suggests that esports athletes could benefit from traditional sports psychology and interventions in mental toughness and stress coping, and that further research is required into the psychological determinants of success for esports athletes. Finally, low correlation between MTQ6 and MTI, uh, representing two of the fundamental and most popular models of mental toughness in current literature, indicates that further debate is encouraged on how best to conceptualize mental toughness. Mm. Oh, and there's an overlap between mental toughness and stress coping processes in traditional sports and esports athletes. Although that's the thing, though, like with with esports out the way that people, the way um how a sports athletes mental toughness and uh, esports athletes mental toughness is different. Like when how they cope it. Like for an esports athlete, it'll be basically like, okay, I need snacks and a lot of Red Bull. Like on the other hand, like with sports athletes, I think that's like, a meme. <laughs> I think if you're a legitimate esports player, you know better than to load yourself up on like on chips and Red Bull. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, with, with the sports athlete, it's a totally different ball game. Like you would have like um, physios. You would have physios on the corner. You would have um, you you would have like a lawyer for a Gatorade. Yeah, maybe I mean, doping as well. Like not not yeah. saying you should be, but like um, what what would it be the turn of like in a in a gamer sort of way for esports it'd be sort of an easy couldn't use endurance but not saying we shouldn't obviously I mean, not well like, there was that guy who was busted hacking at a yeah at an esports event yeah because yeah. that's how you'd get an advantage would be hacking inside it and then like they found a, a file on his usb stick or something titled word.exe and it's like <laughs> see it's just microsoft word and they're like why would you be using microsoft word during a dota tournament <laughs> should have said oh, that is amazing. It should be entitled totally not suspicious file dot text dot exe <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> i think he got banned for life didn't he or probably and oh even more recently there was so the formula one has been doing um esports tournaments well races while they haven't been able to hold uh real life races and oh. one of the no, sorry, it was Formula E, I think. Yeah, yeah e one Formula of the e. racers in Formula E was caught getting someone else to play for him. <laughs> I remember that, and he got kicked, out and then he decided to like exit the tournament in shame. Yeah, like that is shameful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember now. It was um, second. Yeah, Formula E driver Daniel Ant was descri- uh, disqualified after finishing third in the virtual race. By using a stand-in driver. Yes. So we should move on, though. Have you played any esports this week, DJ? Nah. (laughs) I've I've been playing um, Agents of Mayhem, though, which is basically uh, Saints Row... Which is basically Saints Row. Yeah, I remember that. Doesn't it? No way. I'm thinking of Crackdown that has Terry Crews. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it's it's from the same studios that did um, Saints Row, and it's basically you are part of an, a superhero organization, and you're trying to crack down um, the villainous organization. And you play as the organization was called Mayhem, and I think what's the other organization? There, oh yeah, it's called the other organization's called Legion. So it's like it's like if um, Marvel's Agents of Shield, but with Saints Row in it. That sounds messy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you rate it? Um, I would rate it three out of five. And what have you been playing, Devi Boy? Uh, This week I've been playing a game called Life. Um, in Life. I, there's this character that sits at the computer all day and 
gets depression from searching job search searcher um, appointments and um, trying to find their way in life. It's truly an engaging experience. <laughs> you know, you can pre-write your resume and just copy paste it to really min-max those applications. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, you didn't play. No, I didn't. I had no so, time this week. Uh... What do you rate life? <laughs> I rate life. Oh, at the moment, rate life for three out of five. <laughs> I rate it twenty out, out of twenty. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I've I played Project Elite, Ooh, which nice. is a real time board game. So each player, t- the basic plot is you are uh, space marines or whatever going up against the traditional Zerg type monsters. And but the bit that gets really chaotic is that it is real time, so everyone goes at once. So instead of taking turns, you have a round that lasts two minutes or so, uh, and you can take as many turns as you want in that time. So you roll your dice, and your dice come up with like hits or movements or enemy movements. If you roll an enemy movement, you've got to move the enemy. So it gets bloody chaotic because you've got five people sitting around a table all throwing dice and shuffling characters around. So it's not like Monopoly? Nothing like Monopoly. <laughs> it's more chaotic, but less uh, surprisingly, you're less likely to beat up your friend. <laughs> because it's cooperative. It's really bloody weird and a unique idea to have real-time combat and well, play in a uh, board game. Uh, how, would you rate, how, much, how would you rate that one? This one? Uh, I'd give it a, a four out of five, because mm-hmm. the couple of games of it I've played, it's... It feels really good. It um, flows nicely. You'd think having that many people, it would just get overwhelming, but it surprisingly doesn't. The uh, The horrible part of it is rolling your dice, trying to get the last uh, bit you need to finish the objective and only rolling enemy move. Ooh, so it's like me of D&D. Yeah. <laughs> I want a D20. Uh, oh, D1. I want a D20. Oh, D1. Man, it reminds me of my first time playing D&D. Oh, the experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everyone else upgraded? I'm still level one. You're level five? <laughs> Save me, please. I'm Just dead again. Go for the, the roleplay XP. Ah, yes. The best kind. Yep. So on to our shout outs. Uh, on the 12th of July, 2020, Joanna Cole, the author of The Magic School Bus, passed away at 75. Aww. Joanna was the, the author who began uh, began working on The Magic School Bus in the mid-1980s. And, well, I'm sure you know how it goes. There's a magic bus, surprise, driven by an insane teacher who likes to take her students into life-threatening situations. Can this but they be all get a out of it because I've got a magic bus. <laughs> <laughs> there is no way <laughs> yes and they did a, a netflix revival which i've never seen but the uh i watched a trailer for it and the art style and that they didn't bring back valerie frizzle it's her sister was just put me off my but girlfriend's no, watched watch it. it my girlfriend's watched it and she sells all right like it, it's more magic school bus if that's what you're into okay but there is a massive disconnect between the first se- first series and this se- series just art style wise and of course voice actors yeah um, looking at it it didn't i honestly i shouldn't be judging it having only seen the trailer but it didn't seem to hit the same notes it, i haven't seen it and i feel the same way but 
she did say like it does try hard to communicate the science more correctly. Because okay. if you've ever saw the original Magic School Bus has a lot of inaccuracies. Oh, um, you mean the bit where Arnold takes his helmet off on Pluto and doesn't die? Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't show a dead kid in a kid show. Oh. Yeah. Um, so like it tries hard to be more accurate, but at the same time, it is obviously a lot more cheaper. Um, because yeah, it, it it's just more Magic School Bus. That's what you're into. Thought. Okay. I do agree they could have done a far better job of the art style. It looks like a Flash animation from 2005. Yeah. Might be worth checking out if I ever have kids, which uh, the Google ads have decided I'm ready for kids. Oh, and no. my child is growing up incredibly quickly. Two weeks ago, I got ads for nappies. Now I'm getting ads for toddler clothes. <laughs> All right, Your have- ad profile could not be more wrong. Next second, you start seeing toys show up in the mail. It's like, oh, this is a free sample. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next, minute, next minute, you'll be getting like washing detergent samples. And <laughs> next, next month, you're going to get like uh, school application forms coming in. <laughs> oh, they grow up so fast. <laughs> yeah, actually, it reminds me of um, several years ago, the uh, Target got in trouble for sending oh, out know. pregnancy information <clears throat> to a, a teenage girl <laughs> because they tracked her purchases using a, um, a loyalty card, I guess, and yeah. sent her pregnancy ads. And her dad got all pissed off because my um, my daughter wouldn't be pregnant. Turns out she was, and Target knew before, like, before her family <laughs> did. Jesus, yeah. that's. Uh, I remember that one. That was quite a, like, oh, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So on the uh, 13th of July, 2020, Grant Imahara passed away at 49. Grant Imahara died of a brain aneurysm. He was a Trekkie who actually had uh, parts in fan-made productions, a robotics engineer, and worked at Industrial Light and Magic, where he met Adam Savage. So he worked on The Lost World, Jurassic Park, and Terminator 3. Uh, he's obviously most famous for building robots that do terrifying things on Mythbusters. <laughs> <laughs> and Robot Wars, I believe, feels in as well. Yes, he was yeah. on Robot Wars. Yeah. I'm Im- impressed that, like, they must have had good safety stuff going on because some oh, of the boy. stuff he built could have seriously injured someone. Grant, it cut my arm off again. This is the third <laughs> time this week. Yeah. Do you remember the episode where they made a sword swinging robot? Yes. And I was like, oh. That looks dangerous. Yeah, stand well back. <laughs> I think I think bolt I think bolt number five was a little loose. Do you think you worry about? Nah, it's all good. <laughs> can, can, can you can you imagine that that sword swinging robot was in front of that PlayStation factory? <laughs> oh god. Let's 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 not give them ideas, eh? <laughs> yeah, so Grant is the second Mythbuster to die. Uh the previous one was Jesse Combs, who um filled in for a bit. I think she filled in while Carrie was on maternity leave. And unfortunately, uh, Jesse died trying to set a land speed record. Yeah, I th- um from what I from what I've heard, they gave her they posthumously gave her the award okay. in the end. So I mean I suppose there's technically no requirement that you come back from it. But yeah, it's um, a bit of a tragedy. And Adam Savage did a podcast on his Tested channel with um, with his 
tested co-host and it's very hard to watch. It is indeed. Um, melancholy, probably best way to put it. Yeah. Uh, in happier news, though, on the 13th of July, a boxed, sealed copy of the NES Super Mario Brothers <laughs> sold for $114 at auction. This is, this is just amazing. Like, look, this is not the first time something has happened for the NES. Um, obviously, other carts have gone for a lot... Uh, a lot more, but a lot less, obviously. Not to this extent, especially the um, Nintendo... Uh, the, 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 well, what's the that famous card? World Series? That's a, that's a that's sports. Hang on. Basically, I mean, all Nintendo carts have gone for quite a lot on um, eBay. But, I mean, this is just Mario Brothers. It's not even that rare. A sealed copy? What is yeah. rare, though? Perfectly but- sealed, like, good as the day it came off the factory line. <laughs> I mean, it's... I guess, yeah. That would be worth... but. How much is it again? Uh, One hundred and fourteen thousand. I think that's yeah, American, but yeah, I don't yeah. think a box. I mean, a hundred, uh, maybe five hundred dollars. Sure. Well, the previous record was a, a Mega Man game for seventy-five grand last year. God. Hey guys, you want to get your sales investment for your life earnings? Get into retro gaming. Yeah. <laughs> Buy everything, put it in a box. Don't make sure no gets no dust, and let the price inflate. Well, last year, um, last week when I was talking about my mate Satari, we found out, like, we didn't know it was such a, an old model until we were repairing it, and we found out, yeah, this thing's worth, like, 600 bucks or something online. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Not break it. <laughs> that's, that's me if I need Geo. It's a lovely little console. I've got quite a few games for it, and I know it's going to be worth a lot. Um, Will you be getting the Mini? I, I looked at that thing, you- I picked the box up at, uh, JB High Five, and I wanted it, but it's just too expensive. $150, and it's not even that good. Yeah, like, they like, made a, a, a handheld micro console even smaller. Well, no, 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 and no. And if no, you no. buy the set, you get a little magnifier to. Oh, that up. one, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nah. Uh, different Neo Geo. Yeah, that's a pocket. You've got a, a different one, do you? No, no. Okay, I've got the original Neo Geo. So this is the actual um, AES. Yeah. The home. No, so they, they okay. brought out the mini arcade version, so the Neo Geo Mini. And they're bringing bring out a handheld version, and then Sega's bringing out the Micro Mini Game uh, Gears. Game Gear is it? Ah, uh, my mistake. Yeah. So <laughs> um, the Neo Geo Mini is all right. The screen is very nice, but the problem is they got rid of the disc switches and the controllers. So it's like uh, the original exact same controllers, original one, but they got rid of the disc switches. So it's kind of like uh, yeah, it doesn't really feel right for arcade games. My friend um, has the the Pocket, and those switches still feel really nice. Yeah. Oh, Neo Geo Pocket. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, that's what you're talking about. No, yeah. I've got, I've got I the keep new... switching tracks at the moment, sorry. I, yeah, I've got the Neo Geo Pocket as well. And yeah, the disc switches on that thing is amazing. I can't believe any other cost manufacturers have ever done it because it's just satisfying. Uh, I think you're as... thinking micro switch. Micro switch was, yeah, sorry. Yeah. They're all switches, switchy, switchy console <laughs> dip switchies. But there's um, differences. Yeah, there's so, so anyway. Then the game, the Sega Mega Drive micros, probably not considering they're extremely expensive for how small they are and how unplayable they probably will be. Yeah. Like, they're, they're, it, I believe it's smaller than a, a game, game Boy Micro. And like a Game Boy Micro is playable. It's not exactly fun for your fingers, but it's doable. But these just like, ah, no. <laughs> There's a point where we can stop doing the micro stuff, guys, please. Yeah. So uh, we should move on, though. We should, yeah. On the 14th of July, X-Men the movie turned 20. 
So this is the original X-Men movie uh, introducing, well, basically introducing superhero movies to the world as a, a serious business. And so we that- can blame X-Men for leading to this horrible oversaturation of superheroes. <laughs> hey, 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 and it launched Hugh Jackman's career. I mean, come on. Hugh Jackman played an awesome Wolverine. Was yeah. this the one with him in or was this X-Men? Oh, no, X-Men Origins came after, didn't it? Yeah, X-Men Origins came after, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. This also isn't the one with the awful Deadpool. Yeah. The one that made Ryan Reynolds so angry he went and made a movie (laughs) just to spite it. Yeah. I mean, comic book movies have a weird history because you have, like, basically the start of 60s Batman and everyone's like, haha, this is such kiddish stuff. Then you go to 80s Batman and we had Superman. Everyone's like, wow, you can actually do something good here. But then it really picked up because everyone's still thinking of the original Batman TV series. Then you had Batman 2000, the 80s Batman, which everyone's like, okay, this is pretty serious. And then. A ton of comic book movies got pumped out then, all of very bad quality. Um, and then you come to the early 2000s, where basically then the more interest was regained because the X-Men franchise, and then more terrible movies are pumped out. Daredevil 2003, etc., etc., the Catwoman and stuff. But then, you had, then you had the brand new the other Batman franchise. What was that one? The, uh, oh, the, the Nolan versus um, the Nolan, Batman. The Nolan, the Nolan Batman series and that yeah. one helped a lot and then obviously 2008 you had iron man and then went there, there is a there, there is one other um but there is one other superhero movies during the uh 2000 era we're missing blade yeah i was about to say yeah blade blade that was, was awesome one. then as well but here's the one thing that was interesting with this version with uh, the x-men movie it made superhero movies like a dark kind of thing because you know back in the day with all the with the Adam West Batman and all that it was really like haha yeah cool all flashy and all like haha yeah 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 but in, with the X Men it was just a turn into a dark turn basically yeah I mean like the original was- the original Batman franchise sixty was all about trying to emulate comic books so it had a lot of onomatopoeia it's like bang whoosh ha. Then, and the ridiculous bomb scene, but I'm going to cut you off because you guys will keep going forever. Yep. Time to make this a three-hour-long podcast. Have fun. <laughs> so, for remembrances, on the 13th of July, 1762, James Bradley passed away. James was an English astronomer and priest who served as Astronomer Royal. He is best known for two fundamental discoveries, the aberration of light and the mutation of the Earth's axis. John Baptist Joseph de Lambre, a historian of astronomy, uh, called these the most brilliant and useful discoveries of the century. So he died at uh, 69 in Chelford, Gloucestershire. On the 13th of July, 1921, Gabriel Lippmann passed away. Jonas Ferdinand Gabriel Lippmann, a Franco-Luxembourgish physician and inventor, sorry, physicist and inventor, a Nobel laureate in physics for his method of reproducing colorless photography based on the phenomenal interference. He invented the sensitive capillary electrometer, subsequently known as the Lippmann electrometer, using the first ECG machine. He had a bloody amazing uh, moustache. Oh, yeah. Look at that moustache. He died at 75 on the steamer SS France on while en route from Canada. On the 13th of July, 1974, Patrick Blackett died. Patrick Blackett, well, Patrick Maynard Stewart Blackett, Baron Blackett, a British experimental physicist known for his work on cloud chambers, cosmic rays, and paleomagnetism. He won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1948. In 1925, he became the first person to prove that radioactivity could cause the nuclear transmutation of one chemical element to another, which is 
the basis of all nuclear physics, basically. Yep. So you could say he is a. You could say he started alchemy in a sense. Yes. Yes. Uh, nuclear mutation transmutation is basically alchemy. You can, if you had the the will and the methods, turn lead into gold. It would be very difficult, and it would be far easier to do it the other way around. But you know, you could do it if you wanted. So the crater Blackett on the moon is named after him. He died at 76 in London. On to famous birthdays on the 13th of July, 1527. John Dee, the Anglo-Welsh mathematician, astronomer, astrologer, teacher, and occultist. And alchemist, which we were just talking about. Funny how the uh, the segues write themselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. He was court advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, but spent his time on alchemy, divination, and hermetic philosophy. He had one of the largest libraries in England at the time. And he advocated turning England into the British Empire. (laughs) So he coined the British Empire. Everybody who's ever been, uh, you know, colonized... This guy's your guy. (laughs) He wanted to bring forth a unified world religion through the healing of the Roman Catholic and Protestant churches and the recapture of the pure theology of the ancients. He's a big numbers man too. Yeah. For most of his writings, he chose to write in English instead of Latin to make them accessible to to the public. He was born in Tower Ward, London. On the 13th of July, 1831, Arthur Botcher. Jacob Ernst Arthur Botcher, the Baltic German pathologist and anatomist. In 1856, he earned a medical doctorate from the University of Dorpat, which is now known as the University of Tartu in Estonia. His dissertation was on the nerve supply to the inner ear's cochlea. He is known for his anatomical investigations of the inner ear, including the structure of the reticular lamina and nerve fibers of the organ of corti. He's got a bunch of different parts of the ear named after him, including the Charcot-Botcher filaments, which are spindle-shaped crystalloids in human Sertoli cells, measuring 10 to 25 micrometers in length, which is bloody tiny. <laughs> uh, Boy, sorry. I hate Wait, did I say micrometers? I don't think yeah. that's right. What's uh? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah micrometers. Yeah, it's yeah, you're a, okay. right. Okay. Yeah, it's micrometers. Uh, having a bit of a brain fart from high school physics then. <laughs> and the 13th of July, 1940, Sir Patrick Stewart was born. Sir Patrick Stewart is known for uh, Charles Xavier in X-Men, Captain Picard in Star Trek. Is he in the, uh, the TV series Picard? Yeah, yeah. That's him. So he started as a British Shakespearean actor and had trouble fitting in with his less disciplined castmates. And I like this uh, quote. The fact is that all those years in the Royal Shakespeare Company, playing all those kings, emperors, princes, and tragic heroes, were nothing but preparation for sitting in the captain's chair of the Enterprise. He was born in Murfield, West Riding, Yorkshire. And on to the events of interest. On the 13th of July, 1956, the Dartmouth Workshop held the first conference on artificial intelligence. The uh, project lasted six to eight weeks and was essentially an extended brainstorming session. I'm going to need to take a break for a moment. I'll be back. Oh, I'll uh, continue on from there. So in uh, in 1955, John McCarthy, then a young um, assistant professor of mathematics at Dartmouth College, 
decide to organize a group to clarify and develop ideas about thinking machines. He picked the name artificial intelligence for the new field. Uh, he chose the name partly of its neutrality, avoiding a focus on narrow automata um, theory and avoiding cybernetics, which uh, was heavily focused on analog feedback as well as him potentially having to accept the assertive Norbert Weiner as guru or having to argue with him. Yeah, that's one tough way. That, that one tough customer. Um, the proposal is credited with introducing the term artificial intelligence. The proposal goes on to discuss computers, natural natural language pro, uh, processing, neural networks, theory of computation, abstractation, and creativity. Uh, he noted, "We will concentrate on a problem of devising a way of programming a calculator to form concepts and to form generalizations. This, of course, is subject to change when the group gets together." One participant, Arthur Samuel, said, "It's very interesting, very stimulating, very exciting." On the 13th of July, 1967, the uh, in West Germany, uh, Frankenstein conquers the world, enjoys a run through the theaters, and it start this one. Stars uh, Tadao Takahashima and Nick Adams. And this was a Japanese-American co-production. And it was the first collaboration between Toho and Henry, Henry G. Saperstein. In the film, scientists investigate a uh, child's resistance to radiation that makes him grow to monstrous size while uh, a se- second monster ravages the countryside. And there was a sequel called The War of Gargantuas. And the plot summary is even more hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the plot summary is even crazy. I, I, have to, I love this one. During World War II, a human heart taken from a certain lab in Europe, Dr. Frankenstein's lab, but mainly, is kept in a Japanese lab. When it gets exposed to radiation of the bombing of Hiroshima, the heart grows in size, mutates, and sprouts appendages, eventually grows to a complete body and escapes. Later, a feral boy with a certain deformity, a large head with a flat top is captured by scientists who refers to the boy as Frankenstein. The creature grows to the height of 20 feet, captures, escapes again, frights the police and army, and is practically indestructible. Later, a reptilian monster goes on a rampage. Eventually, the Frankenstein creature and the rept- reptile faces off in a terrible battle. That, that, sounds, that sounds very intriguing. <laughs> it, it's, it's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but just not the way I remember reading it. I love that uh, that screenshot from it, though. <laughs> I'm like, it's Godzilla. No, no, wait, no, Godzilla. <laughs> wow, did you turn into a man? <laughs> <laughs> wow, radiation does wonders. Oh, <laughs> uh, can you imagine like kaiju movies with with, with that though, like? Before, uh, b- before he, um, all those ones like Ultraman and stuff, it was Frankenstein. <laughs> and that's uh, it's pretty wild, though. <laughs> Once upon a time, Frankenstein. No, 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 Frankenstein's monster enters some toxic goo, and then the teenage mutant. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, XCT, Sean. <laughs> we have a fil- we have a cool comic book idea. <laughs> What's underneath the sewers in New York? There's a radioactive monster. I can't say. I don't. I don't. It doesn't make grammatical sense to say it correctly in that sense because it's not. Ah, why <laughs> just monster? Can we have a different name for the? I'm calling it. I'm calling it um, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> I like Bobby. how. The, the, oh, sorry. Oh, you go. It's all good. Uh, you, you go. You go. Sorry. Bobby. Um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein monster. Bobby the monster. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I like how they do this one. They it's they, they come to the assumption that Frankenstein is the the name of the monster is Frankenstein, when not many people know that the monster is known as the monster and Frankenstein okay. is its creator. No. That's been passed around so often there isn't anybody I who think doesn't most people know. It. It's one of the things like, hey, 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 hey there. I hello. Have you known that actually Frankenstein references the doctor? <laughs> not the monster oh yeah. look look at this amazing fact I am smart and then there's the, the standard response to it oh but Frankenstein was the monster ooh <laughs> oh Jeez, wait, we know it's even philosophical just get over yourself <laughs> <laughs> so our final shout out well event of interest for the night occurred on the 13th of January 1977 New York City had a 24-hour-long blackout, leading to widespread fires and looting. So most of uh, New York went bl- went dark on the July the 13th, carrying through to July 14th. The only parts that weren't affected were in southern Queens, which were a part of a separate system, and the Pratt Institute campus in Brooklyn. So the blackout resulted in citywide looting and arson. <laughs> I mean, if that's how most blackouts happened, I'll be, it'll be, I'd love that adventure. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, usually blackout happens. Like, hey, time to get the candles out. But no, it's ah, oh, it's a blackout. Woo! Time to go pare down society. <laughs> oh god, it's the apocalypse. <laughs> the lights have gone. I bet you that was the inspiration to that movie, Escape from New York. <laughs> at one point. No, I reckon awesome. it's more, more the purge. I say. Yeah. Though, interestingly, um, it was a hot July day in the middle of a brutal heat wave, which is interesting. So it's actually a known effect that uh, crime increases in hot weather. That's why crime remember no crime. I don't remember if it's all crime or just violent crime. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, it's one of those, I don't know how tenuous the correlation is, but, you know, interesting to think about. But that is all we have for tonight. So, DJ, where can they find us? Um, they can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that's not canon.com. We're in the archive of our all episodes and uh, we have merchandise. We have also on Pod Hero where you can support us for, for a mere five dollars. That, that's right, five dollars. You can also check out other um, podcasts from the That's Not Canon family. Um, and new studio. Oh, yeah. Wow, that new studio is awesome. No more squeaky door. <laughs> no more squeaky seats so are there any uh that's not canon podcasts you can recommend dj uh there is that very new one that came out the other day uh what was it called yeah you remember it, professor i think my yes, uh, i just to found me. it <laughs> it's uh lady plum by sorry lady mouth by mixing plum Nice. So this is a, a podcast for for women, basically. The description is uh, Mixie wanted to create a spot for women to feel safe to use their voice and share their personal experiences. Nice. So thank you for uh, tuning in. You can hear us in the same channels, same nerd channel, same nerd time next week. Hopefully, unless we're late like last week. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of yourselves, stay hydrated, and hooroo. Yeah, this was a very toasty episode. <laughs> Have fun, guys. Keep up. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Here we go.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 